Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Back to the Bins. I'm Scott Gardner. This week's episode is something different, even for Back to the Bins, which, let's face it, has only the loosest of formats to begin with. What we've got for you this week is a real blast from the past. You know, I would imagine that most podcasts that have been around for any significant length of time have probably got at least one or two so-called lost episodes rattling around in their closet. Episodes that, you know, for whatever reason, have just been sitting around in some uh, file folder on some hard drive somewhere gathering cyber dust and waiting for the day that they might be salvaged or deleted. Such is the case for what we've got in this installment of Back to the Bins. What you're about to hear is a recording we made, I'm guessing, around two years ago, at least 18 months ago, that I've been sitting on all this time for a number of reasons. For one, I wasn't sure of the quality of the recording. The subject that we discussed is very near and dear to me, and due to Skype issues during the recording, you got to remember this was Skype in its early days, and it was in a wonky phase, um, I wasn't sure how the recording had come out, but I had convinced myself that it was probably unusable. Another reason is uh, that it had just been sitting around is that I had intended to really go over the top with this one, to edit out all the rough patches, to fully score the episode, and really make a big deal production out of it. And lastly, this particular recording um, only covers the first chapter, the first issue of a four-issue miniseries, and since, unfortunately, we've never managed to get the gang of guest stars that we'd assembled for this recording together again to finish it, I'd just been keeping it set aside in hopes of one day we might all get back together and finish the series. So anyway, fast forward to just uh, very recently, a couple of weeks ago, and the sad news of the death of comic book legend Gene Colan. Colan was an integral part of the series that we discussed that night, and it got me to thinking about this particular recording and how we'd been sitting on it all this time, wondering about the quality of it and if it was indeed salvageable. So I dug it out, gave it a listen. I'd never listened back to it and was pleasantly surprised to find out that, despite the problems that had plagued our uh, recording session that night, how good the talk really was. So, uh, you know, we'd, we'd managed to keep on topic, and we overcame the adversity of the situation, and recorded what I think is a really solid episode, which I'm proud to present to you now. It's fully intact, raw, unedited, unscored, the whole nine yards. It's just the recording as it happened that night. Uh, warts and all, and I'm presenting it as you know something of both a tribute to Gene Colan, who I I really respected, and truthfully, I think another reason we'd been sitting on it all this time is that we'd kind of hoped that maybe we would get Gene at the end, you know, maybe for the the wrap up of the series type of thing, maybe we'd actually be able to pull Gene in, and unfortunately, that's never going to happen now. But also uh, as something of a look back to the earliest days of Back to the Bins. I I think you'll get a kick out of... uh, There's a noticeable step down in the audio quality and that sort of thing. This is back in my clunky headphones phase and all that. But uh, it's just a lot of fun to to listen back to where we came from as a podcast and that sort of thing. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Hey, we're back. It's, It's a special episode. We're doing the Phantom Zone. And uh, we've been meaning to do this from a series by DC from 1982. We've been meaning to do this for a while and talking about it. Finally, we've got 
a whole crew together here. We've got four guests on, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna do it by God. And I'm here with my co-host Scott Gardner, and I'm Chris. Hey, Hanuel. how's it going? I'm, it's going good. It's it's been like what six months since we started talking about this, or more. About it's been a this. long time coming, yeah, and and finally the planets aligned and and all that sort of thing, and uh, yeah, and everybody everybody's here. All the time we waited just allowed us to get more guests on, which means more excitement for your for your money on two true freaks, Bang which is your... actually yeah, which is actually no money at all. It's a hell of a bargain. Yeah, yeah, just comes with the cost of your your internets, but uh. Yeah, this is a great. Um, now you know me. I'm not a big superhero comic reader. I I was sort of like I'd read Spider-Man and stuff and X-Men, mostly on the Marvel side when I was a kid. But you were a big Superman fan and had tons of Superman comics. And I remember one of the ones you got me to successfully read was the Phantom Zone series, and I loved it. You know, and I'm I'm not a you know I don't have anything against Superman. I just never was a big Superman reader or, or fan. But this comic was really, uh, really made an impression on me. So I'm really glad that we're doing this one. It's one I can actually talk about in the DC universe and stuff, and not just be sort of on the sidelines making wisecracks or trying to steer the conversation off topic or whatever. All those wonderful things I do. Well, before we we get too much into it, because I, I sure. want to come back to, to what you said about that, we are neglecting our special guest. Ah, another we, thing we do so well. <laughs> <laughs> we have got, uh, I'll just go uh, in alphabetical order. We have Mr. Chris Johnson with us. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we have Juan Castro, inker extraordinaire. I just love saying that, by the way. Hi everyone! Thanks, <laughs> thanks Scott. Thanks for the hype. <laughs> we have published Star Trek author Mike Poteet with us. Hello, everybody. Gravitas, gravitas. <laughs> That's my middle name. <laughs> and we have Will Sanchez, just because we wanted a sixth person. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Oh, welcome. He says burn. <laughs> <laughs> and and should we just toss out a warning that we're recording at night, so there might be a possibility of some Z's oh, coming yeah. out of the podcast? <laughs> you mean Will Sanchez Z Z Z Z Z? Yeah. Oh, that's harsh. Poor Will. He's doing. never ever gonna live that down. I I wasn't even gonna bring it up. But... We were the ones talk- We were the ones talking. Remember when he went to sleep? So. Right. He's never going to uh, yeah. live it down because he keeps doing it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, getting back to what you had... Oh, I'm sorry, Will, go ahead. No, I think I'll be alive and well tonight, so I think uh, <laughs> I'll be paying attention. <laughs> He's got a big pot of black coffee sitting right next to his microphone. <laughs> Uh, getting back to, to what you were saying, though, Chris, yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. And this is one of the very few, like, you know, quote, regular comic books I can remember us both really getting into. Because you, you you really gravitated more to the unusual comics, you know, your Swamp Thing and stuff like that. And you, to my recollection, weren't weren't big on just straight superhero comics. But this one, I think partially because this has 
like that that horror feel. You know, you you mentioned just before we went on the air, you know, that that this reminds you a lot of Tuma Dracula, and not just because of the the Gene Colan art. I think that's a very apt comparison. So, but we'll get into that. Um, I'm just going to kind of give the broad strokes of this series rather than uh, you know go issue by issue, and we'll go back over them and give our thoughts on each particular issue. But um, the series was written by Steve Gerber, probably most famous for, uh, for Howard the Duck, you know, but not really, to my mind, not really associated too much with Superman or with, you know, straight superhero stories. So that's very interesting that he's the, the writer on this particular series. Um, artist on it's Gene Cullen, turning out what I consider some of the very finest work of his entire career on this. Uh, inked by Tony DiZaniga, who's uh, I've always been a big fan of his, particularly of his uh, Jonah Hex work, but he's done so much other stuff, a lot of superhero stuff too. And the basic story with this is there's an employee at the Daily Planet, Charlie uh, Queskel, who starts to have dreams and delusions of the planet Krypton and eventually comes to construct a Phantom Zone projector that uh, Superman races to try to stop him from engaging. And when he does engage the device, it blows up in Charlie and Superman's faces. They get projected into the Phantom Zone and all of the Phantom Zone inhabitants, except for Mon-El, who really can't leave the zone or he would die, all the rest of them, all villains, escape. They each and every one of them have the powers of Superman individually, and they're just completely ruthless, bloodthirsty, moralist bastards who, you know, set about destroying the Earth, basically. And uh, they uh, they toss the Justice League satellite with a lot of leaguers aboard it off, you know, into the far reaches of the solar system. They ravage the planet and the few heroes that are left to deal with them such as Supergirl and Wonder Woman and Batman and Green Lantern are hopelessly outmatched and I think I'm just going to leave it there that's pretty much the basic story the the basic you know uh, uh, setup for this and we'll get into it more as we as we go through the individual issues so um Starting out uh, on issue one, we'll just uh, we'll go roundtable on this. And uh, actually, Chris, you're uh, Chris Honeywell. You're uh, you're first Ooh, on this I'm first one. Still... alphabetically. Yeah, there you awesome. go. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. I love it. Okay. So thoughts on issue one. Thoughts on issue one. Well, I love it. Well, I have no, you know, uh, on rereading this. I also, you know, it's been. 30 years since I read it originally, you know, I probably read it sitting in your room some Saturday afternoon. Um, I really have no background, you know, of Charlie Queskel, who he is, you know, so I was just picking it up as it, as it went along. And, and, uh, it was funny because I was thinking, you know, it's kind of forced that they're creating this new crypt character from Krypton or whatever. And I should have known that he actually did, exists before that but uh i like his character a lot and that's where a lot of the the beginning of it is almost like a straight up horror comic like one of the anthology comics or tomb of dracula like like you're saying earlier because you know it starts right off with him instead of um superman and 
he's he's you know having his dreams about krypton dreams slash hallucination slash memories of krypton and it's very nightmarish you know he's seeing just you know very nightmarish visions and you know of krypton's downfall and also giving some backstory and you find out the kryptonians are kind of uh I don't know, they were kind of bastards in some ways when the, you know, the, the Phantom Zone was kind of a cruel um, way of, of imprisoning people. And then the, you have the other guy who's like, look, we made these genetically created life forms to do all our slave labor, you know, which is, you know, is pretty sketchy probably, you know, even though they're melted by Phantom Zone rays or whatever, you know, it destroys their genetic structure. But, uh, yeah, and it's illustrated in a very, you know, horror comic sort of way. So that's what what I enjoyed about it. It's and it's bloody. <laughs> very bloody for a, a comic of, of its day. And dark. You know, there's uh, just a whole recounting of all these Phantom Zone villains and all their deeds that that led them to be there and their sentences and uh you know some of them were some of them were just bad people some of them were super megalomaniac bad people too you know and and uh you know the only one coming from the superman 2 phantom zone is general zod which is and they illustrated him i i always thought it was weird when i was a kid that he didn't look like terence stamp you know he's got his military uniform on and stuff like that but they, you know, they had other characters that sort of replaced the Ursa, and uh, what was the other one? Nan. Nan. Yeah, the, they were they were made up for the Superman right. movie, and Ursa is loosely based on Feora, the the girl here that's in the green and white outfit. But Nan, to my knowledge, didn't really have a parallel in the comics. He was just right. kind of created out of whole cloth. They have since. Right come to be in the comics you know the 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 three from superman one and two the movies but uh you know they they didn't really exist you know in the comics prior to that so yeah i thought i i i really enjoyed it, it, hello? it was a, hello can you hear me can you hear me now oh yeah were you muted i guess so I don't oh, know. I was weird. talking away. Was, oh, that was bizarre. There was a weird. Uh, did anybody else hear that? No, the on He was just gone. You know. Yeah, yeah. That huh. was, I thought it was me. I thought maybe the call, my call, failed or something. Oh no, I was oh, just oh, talking cool. away. No, that's cool. Don't let me interrupt you. I was just throwing that out there. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I, I for one, I've always been a big fan of Gene Colan. So you know, I can read this it, even if the story was terrible. His art is always beautiful. But, oh, absolutely. Boy, the the story really and. I, I like the character also of the sort of mad Kryptonian prophet that that gets set up in, in here. <laughs> Jerem, the mad prophet, whose fanaticism inadvertently destroyed Argo City. And uh and I also thought it was really funny that the oldest city in Krypton is Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> They came up with you know there's some there's some great Kryptonian 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 names that, that and 
that well, just yeah. sounds silly nowadays. You know, nowadays, or they've you know formed into into something else. You know, yeah. It, I'm gonna come back to that because there's one I researched the names that are given on which page is it here? There's a there's a page where just a whole slew of names are thrown out kind of willy-nilly and i researched these and darned if they aren't all actual kryptonian characters that appeared in superman history over the years and uh there was one in particular i'll come back to because i got kind of a kick out of it but uh yeah um and i was also glad to see chris okay i was also glad to see tony dizanuga dizaniga was the anchor always good to see Awkward pauses. Yeah, here. yeah. I, I was wondering if I was losing everybody or everything. <laughs> no, I'm still here. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Okay. Chris. And by the way, uh, one of the advantages of having a like a, an international guest on your show it it's the Suniga that pronounced here. What is it again? It's pronounced the Suniga. The Suniga. Uh, well, it's actually it has a little of the alphabet that it's not in the English alphabet. This the Suni. Uh, kind of like an Asian kind of N Y A Ni. The Suniga. Yeah. I've heard so many different pronunciations for it. I've never known exactly what it's to say. I know that uh, I got the D Zuniga from CGS. That's how they always said it. And I figured their pronunciation was re- was correct. When I was a kid, it was Dizuniga, was how I pronounced it. I really didn't yeah, that- know how it was pronounced. But uh, I don't remember where I've heard the joke, but uh, I always remember it because uh, you always need a, a, a Mexican in broadcasting to pronounce some things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always uh, useful. Yeah, I believe Tony's uh, Filipino, I believe. He's yeah. a Filipino artist. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think he came over in that great. Uh, they have a term for it now. I can't remember, but it was like the great Filipino migration into comics that brought us like Jose Gar- uh, Luis Garcia Lopez and a bunch of those guys. I can't even remember everybody else now, but there was a whole bunch of them that came over right about the same time because DC was basically they were doing what what's kind of happening today. They were trying to farm out some cheaper labor was was basically what was going on. Yeah, a lot of um, Marvel folk were kind of like migrating to DC at this time right. and like cranking out some really good stuff Gene Cullen being one of them oh yeah oh yeah Chris one of the best your... oh go ahead Juan no no that was it Chris Johnson alright well as I've talked to you uh, this is my first time uh, reading this uh, and like I've told you before Scott I'm not exactly the biggest Superman fan not against not nothing against the character, but you know I just don't click with him like I do some other characters. But uh, I love this. I thought this was fantastic, um, and I'm really glad that you put the call out to uh, jo- to do this episode. And we're interested in having me on because uh, first off, Gene Colan is one of my favorite artists. Uh, I, th- I think he's I think he should be mentioned in the same breath as you know you get your Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. You know, I just Second think that his, his work is just absolutely gorgeous. And I'm in the process of, because I've mostly read his Marvel stuff, and I'm in the process of going through his DC work. And so you, you know, talking about doing this episode, kind of bumped Phantom Zone to the top of uh, that list. 
And I thought his artwork in here was just fabulous. And I would probably agree with you that this is probably some of the best work of his career, uh, sp especially the Phantom Zone sequences with, with the Phantom Zone with the and the coloring plays a part in this, too, with the mix of the black and white against, you know, the purple mm -hmm. just looks absolutely fantastic. And also in the scene in the uh, council room on Krypton, where you have that uh, black and white, uh, the drawing of Lara, like kind of imposed over the council. Just that was a great effect there and just all throughout. And, you know, you, Gene Colan's style is just so unique, his painting with pencils type style, that you really need a great inker to really just totally, you know, be bring his work, you know, effectively to light. Because I've seen, because his pencils are absolutely gorgeous, and you really need a good inker to make them work. And I think uh, Desuniga uh, definitely did that. With I think he was a great uh, inker for Colin. And uh, besides that, on the story side of things, I like this because I've heard, you know, all these Kryptonians tossed out like, you know, Zod. I didn't really know about Zod's history, you know, pre-crisis. You know, I knew about him from the movies and from uh, currently what Jeff Johns did with him. And also Jaxer, I had heard the name several times, but I didn't really know what the significance was. And so this was this first issue was really cool getting to you know see the histories of all these various Kryptonians that I'd heard about, but hadn't really you know learned anything about. I've just heard them in passing. And I also kind of had the experience that I think Chris had when he first read this, you know, back when it was first published that. You know, I was wondering, you know, what was going on with this Charlie, Charlie Cresco guy. And then eventually you find out that he was actually, you know, a Kryptonian who in a previous story had had his memories of Krypton erased and his powers erased by gold kryptonite. And I thought that was kind of cool, you know, finding that. I didn't, you know, it, and it was cool learning that as you go throughout the story and finding out, you know, what the twist to all this was. Because probably readers of Superman you know, probably knew who this guy was, and so it was probably a cool moment when they opened this up, seeing, you know, that he was back, but as somebody who wasn't familiar with the character and his history, it was really cool finding out that history as the story moved along, and I also thought, just on, just one last note, I liked how uh, uh, Gerber set up uh, the Phantom Zone criminals escape from the Phantom Zone, by showing that sequence with the criminals kind of whispering to Jor-El in his sleep, showing that they were able to, uh, if they, you know, had enough will and there were enough of them acting together that they could influence people uh, from the zone into the corporeal world. And I thought that was a nice touch that Gerber showed that beforehand before he showed the criminals using that on Quesco later on. There had been a, a precedent for that in some other story. I, I think it actually is touched upon in this issue where they tried to influence Jor-El. Right. Jor-El yeah. was in a fever or something. That I, I can't remember where that story appeared, but I remembered that. And that was one of the things that always impressed me with this story. And I'll, I'll get into that later. How, man, uh, I mean, Steve Gerber did his homework on this series, man. I mean, he really did. And... And uh, I wonder just how much that's appreciated, you know, that, that this was at a time when, you know, not a whole lot of emphasis was put on tight continuity. But he sure pulled from all corners of, 
you know, Superman and, and Phantom Zoner mythos to make this thing work. And I think that's one of the reasons it plays so well for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, Juan? Yeah, I had a similar experience with it uh, as Chris. Like, I'm not really a big Superman fan or anything, but uh, you recommended it to me. Around the same time, actually, that you recommended it to Chris. I think it was even maybe in the same Skype call. And, uh, and yeah, I'm a huge Gene Cole and Art fan. So this was a, an instant get uh, as soon as I heard about it. Uh, I really like the art. Uh, I like the story. I mean... Uh, it has typical 80s, 70s exposition, but uh, it's very, very good. Uh, some of the things I didn't like, I mean, all the origins of the villains, I understand that we're supposed to like, give us character development so that we could like understand them better and all that. But I just, I don't think it was executed that well. Maybe, I don't know. It was. It felt kind of boring at parts. Like, turn the page and oh, another origin, and another page, and another origin. <laughs> But uh, I really like the sod part. So it's uh, a whole bizarro sod army. That's a really cool concept that I'm interested in. Uh, I was going to ask you. I have that in my notes. Has that ever played out somewhere else, Scott? With the with the bizarro army? Yeah. Yeah. That I, I, again, I'm not sure what issue that that comes from. But yeah, in in pre-crisis history, that was how Zod um, tried to basically conquer Krypton was uh, I think in other versions of Superman, like for instance in the Superman the Animated Series, or maybe it was Justice League when they talked about... um, In that show, they basically took Zod out of it and they put um, Jack Sir into that role of being Zod. But it was still basically the same character. And he he basically uh, mounted an insurrection to overthrow Krypton. But, you know, way back in this pre-crisis continuity, yeah, Zod somehow created basically bizarro Zods. It was almost the same kind of technology that, uh, I think it was Luthor that eventually came up with the bizarro technology that created like bizarro and bizarro world and all that. So somehow it was a, maybe not the same exact tech, but you know, along the same lines and that, you know, that's where he raised his army from. Yeah, and, and besides that, I really probably my favorite uh, Kryptonians that I found in this uh, were the mutant Kryptonians, the psychic one and the pyrokinetic one that we were talking about. Uh, I really like those characters. I mean, they just seem like great villains, and because uh, you rarely ever have a villain that's like a threat to Superman. That's why whenever you're having a story that's like real danger, you have to get rid of him in order for the story to work. And uh, but with these guys, I mean, I would really like to see what he would do to stop them. Because not only do they have the same, you know, Kryptonian uh, powers, but these guys have would have an edge over him. And uh, I'd like to see that play out. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that because some of them are physically more imposing, and then there's some of them that you know, along with having his same powers, somebody like Feora was actually like a trained martial artist. Whereas Superman, to me, I always thought Superman was kind of a brawler, you know, like he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't like Batman where he was trained to to fight. He more just relied on the fact that he's just stronger than everybody else, you know? So I'd I'd really like to have seen a solid fight between him and somebody who actually knows what they're doing in the ring. 
Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and that's pretty much it. I, that's pretty much all I got on issue one. Cool. Mike Poteet. Oh, well, um, I am a big Superman fan, so I was interested <laughs> in this, uh, but, but especially because of the subject matter, because uh, I was first introduced to the idea of the Phantom Zone through the movies, and uh, I didn't know. I'm, I'm still very new to comics in general. Um, just a couple of years, really, that I've been reading them, which is uh, shameful for a, a geek to admit, but it's the truth. You won't hold uh, it. So, <laughs> so I didn't know there was there was such a big reservoir of uh, Phantom Zone stuff to draw from. And uh, so I had picked this up a while ago, but hadn't read it until you recommended it. I remembered I had it, but I had just recently read the Tales from the Phantom Zone trade paperback that DC put out earlier this year, which collects a lot of the Silver Age first appearances of lots of these characters. And uh, one thing that struck me, I had you know, just read that recently before reading this, um, what I liked about issue one of the Phantom Zone miniseries is it's rehashing a lot of it, but it does it in a way that puts a slightly different spin on it. And um, like Chris said at the very beginning, you, you get the sense for the miniseries that Krypton isn't the great enlightened society it thinks of itself as, uh, that maybe they get too much uh, enjoyment out of this supposedly more humane method of capital punishment that Jarrell's derived from them. Like if you look at um, the origin of uh, Dr. Zaydu, the one who's doing suspended animation experiments, uh, he's the first guy we actually see put in the Phantom Zone. He's not the first villain historically in Kryptonian history put in the zone, but he's the first one we ever see back in uh, Adventure 283. And uh, there's two panels devoted to his trial, and he has that line, but they volunteer. Yeah. You know? And the, the prosecutor says, oh, in the original version, that's no excuse. It's against the law. And so it's a cut and dried case. But when uh, Dr. Zaydu says that in the miniseries, they volunteered. The prosecutor sort of twists it around even to make it an even worse offense. Like, ah, oh, then you informed them they were breaking the law and, and, and they might never be revived. You know, it, it's this, uh, you know, how words can get twisted around in the courtroom and all the courtroom dramas and stuff. It has that sort of feel to it. And in the, in the inset panel there on page uh, 10, Dr. Zaydu sort of repeats again. You, you get the sense in a very soft kind of resigned voice that they volunteered. You know, so you don't really know just from the miniseries whether he really thought he was doing something wrong or not. It's, it's ambiguous, but, um, but nonetheless, he gets stuck in the fandom zone. And then that page you mentioned, Scott, uh, where all the names are being reeled off, you know, this legion of infamy consigned to the zone. And it says, every one of them, the perpetrator of a crime, heinous enough to warrant the ultimate separation from society. And you think, really? Every single one of them did something so awful they had to be sent to the Phantom Zone? And so it made me uh, look again at Krypton as a society and, you know, sort of exposing the, the dark underbelly. And uh, I don't want to drag us too far afield at the very beginning, but in that DC Comics Presents issue 97 that brings back Steve Gerber's interpretation on the zone, you know, there's a page where the executioner is beaming people into the zone and he's talking about what fun it is, basically. He says, uh, right. I hand it to old Jarrell, this beats space capsules any day. Makes the <laughs> job more personal when you can see him squirm. You know, so that's what stuck with me most about this issue is it's, it's revisiting the Silver Age. I mean, it's, it's technically part of the Silver Age or the Bronze Age, but it's looking at this earlier stuff with a more modern sensibility and you know you can get the 
the anticipation of what would come later in the 80s and the 90s. And, and those are the kind of uh, these late 70s, early 80s Superman stories I've found recently I've really been enjoying where it's some of the old goofy stuff like the Phantom Zone and Candor and Crypto or whatever. But, uh, but there's just that, that edge of taking it a little more seriously and thinking through the ramifications more than they did in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that leads to some interesting stuff. So, so uh, that's what I liked about this first issue. Awkward pause. <laughs> Everybody's just waiting for who's next. <laughs> Did Will fall asleep? <laughs> no, I'm here. Okay. Oh, I think Scott actually dis disappeared from. I have to uh -huh. recall yeah, him. Yeah, I don't see his call thing lit up. I think he looks like he got dropped. Yeah. Here he comes. Oh. Oh. Hey, I'm. I got cut off, and then about the time I was trying to trying to message you to reconnect, I hear this big old boom of thunder outside, which means probably storm like hell again. Sometimes I think we're just like a third world country, man. It's ridiculous. So anyway, long story short, I hope that uh, my internet connection's not going to be wonky because of this storm tonight. Well, we uh, we can just march on. That's all we can do. Keep going. So I, I think I heard most of what Mike was yeah. saying. <laughs> Sorry, I, I went on a bit. <laughs> oh, no, no. oh, that's. I, I was hoping that you just went on without me. Um, no, well, there was an awkward pause where we were waiting for you to uh, say who is next. <laughs> well, alphabetically, I'm next, but uh, of this of this issue in number two, I have kind of a lot to say. So I'm going to go ahead and let Will go, and then I'll I'll go afterwards. Okay. Well, uh, this is a really interesting way that um, I came upon this. I actually asked uh, Scott what would be like uh, cool Superman stories because uh, I'm also a big Superman fan as well, but I, I'm kind of selective with that stuff. Um, and Scott recommended to me this Phantom Zone book, which is really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Gene Colan, but I've never really uh, actively sought out his, his work. And with this one, this is a really pleasant surprise. Uh, this is a cool... Um, kind of um, dark take on, on Superman and his world and uh, it was interesting about the covers also is that with one through four you, uh, not particularly with number three but you see kind of like a phantom image in the back uh, so just with one has uh, Zod and the villains uh, the second one has Superman and, and Charlie in the background and the last one has the you know the, the weird monster that he encounters in the number three and four which is pretty cool I thought that was kind of a cool, consistent, um, stylistic trait of the covers. Um, but, you know, this this is a very cool story. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's pretty, you know, ahead of its time for what it is. And uh, Steve Gerber, you know, really surprised me because I, I just know him for, you know, Howard the Duck and stuff like that. And I didn't really expect this type of thing to come from him. So, uh, you know, this was a, quite a surprise. And I... You know, what's interesting about this is, um, like Mike said, how uh, Krypton is portrayed as a, a not-so-squeaky-clean society. And um, this issue also shows a lot of... Um, it names off a lot of characters, which uh, when we spoke earlier, it was kind of funny. It reminded me of... 
the Genesis and Genesis, you know, in the biblical sense that <laughs> they just list off names, you know, after a while and you kind of just get lost. <laughs> and you never quite, you know, keep up with it. But it's it's cool that um like Scott mentioned is that they actually exist, all these villains, but you know, you don't really see all of them throughout this story. Um but, you know, getting back to the issue, um, it's really interesting to see how in-depth, uh, you know, Steve Gerber went with all these villains. And uh, probably my most favorite, because she's the most messed up, is Feora, because she very much uh, is of the um, Ursa mold, or should I say the other way around. <laughs> and uh, she does a lot of messed up stuff throughout the, the book, and she really knows how to handle herself. And it's interesting that the way Zod is portrayed here, because I was also, you know, mostly used to the uh, movie Zod. So it's interesting interesting to see, like, this version here, like, the pre-crisis uh, Zod, you know, it's it's different. It has a similar demeanor, but it's not quite the same guy that we know, you know, with the one-liners, like, Neil before Zod and stuff like that, which is cool in itself. But Your ass! <laughs> <laughs> It actually says airs, but I always thought he said your ass. It's it's funny. That's a, that's actually a joke that's going to one come day. Out. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I, I said that, and then I realized you guys haven't heard the episode yet. But that's something that's going to come up in our next uh, episode when we cover Superman the movie. So continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I also agree with uh, Chris Honeywell and, and and you guys with with regards to the the way the story was told after the whole Charlie intro. Charlie and um, and Perry White. It has a very very much a sinister, uh, you know, undertone, and it's very um, mysterious. And I, I love you know the little touch with the eyes peering into the dreamscape. Uh, that was pretty cool. In that, um, I, I don't know. It's in a way, it's, it's just a very interesting kind of creepy visual. And um, what's what I found funny is the way the Phantom Zone projector looks. It's, it's pretty looks you know pretty low tech. <laughs> it's like a flashlight with two stands, you know. But, uh, you know, and also what I love seeing amongst the flashbacks of the Phantom Zone criminals is seeing, like, you know, little details of Krypton, like the indigenous life, um, such as when the you know, criminals just, you know, kill them off and stuff like that. And um, I also like seeing the, the Kryptonian armada and seeing, like, the horde of Zod warriors look kind of like, remind me of miniature dark sides in a way. But uh, yeah, it, it, overall, this issue was great. I I really enjoyed the narrative flow. It's it's really, um, like I said, I think it's ahead of its time, and it's it's one of those. I think this book should be collected. It's it's a it's a modern classic. I think not modern, but it's just it's a classic that I think it's kind of a shame that hasn't been collected yet. Oh, Scott's dropped out again. Take nope. on again. He is gone again. Yeah, he's gone again. <laughs> I got a note from him saying the lights were flickering at his, oh, at his house, so let's see what happens. Oh, 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 he's back up. <laughs> oh, I kind of forgot to add something, um, if it's okay. Okay, yeah. Um, it's interesting that this is like um, this is my first like not, not I don't want to say first, but it's just um, my first mostly involved uh, reading of of a pre-crisis story, which is interesting because you can see different changes that I I didn't get used to, such as seeing Clark and you know in the the TV station and um, and the the big ass uh, 
keyhole inside this fortress, which is <laughs> which is definitely uh, something that's known for the for the pre-crisis Superman stories. And I also love the scene where you see the the criminals try to jam the lock the the key into the lock. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but it's a cool, it's interesting as a pre-crisis story that. And also, what's interesting is that it, it feels very much like a a '70s story instead of an '80s story. But that's pretty much, much you know, pretty much probably due to the art and, and the way it's told rather than because '80s is usually known for like gritty uh, storytelling and stuff like that. And this is kind of gritty, but at the same time, it's very. Um, you know, it, I don't want to say. Yeah, it's it's classic. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Chris. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. We didn't know right, if you just showed up, but we didn't hear. Are your lights on? Yeah, they are. But uh, man, I'm telling you. I feel like I'm being tested seriously. <laughs> between between the computer problems I was having yesterday and, and early this morning, and now the power is threatening to kick out and the internet keeps going out, I, I feel like I'm being severely tested. It'll all get fixed in post. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about I'm, I, you know, I've I've looked forward to this show for so very long, and I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want things to go all piss wacky tonight. You know what I mean. So, but anyway, um, so I guess it's my turn, right? I guess it is. All right. What I'm going to do is I want to I want to kind of redress some things you all said because you guys brought up some great uh, talking points, and then I've just got some general notes of my own on issue one. But uh, you know, right off the bat, man, I am so glad that that you know those of you that checked this out because you were Gene Colan fans. And I think I, you know, I told you about this because I knew you were Gene Colan fans. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you liked it, that you agree with me about the art and everything. But beyond that, I, I'm glad you just liked the story as well. You know, that, that, you know, cause I agree that I think the art is absolutely fantastic. And this is definitely one of those instances where I think that the art could have saved this, even if the story was absolutely abysmal because the art's so beautiful, but I think that the the combination together, what the story is combined with this art, just makes this you know what it is you know what I consider just a, a pre-crisis masterpiece. So I'm glad that you guys really enjoyed the story as well. And uh, you know, this the point was brought up about actively seeking out Gene Colan. I you know this was really the book that that turned my opinion of Gene Colan because up until this point I had seen some Gene Colan not a whole lot I remember seeing him on uh, a couple issues of uh, of uh, I'm, I thought it, Dare, uh, Captain America I could swear I had a Captain America by Gene Colan I couldn't tell you what issue it was and I know of a couple issues of Daredevil and other odds and ends here and there and and you know. I just was not impressed back in the day. You know, as a kid, I, I, it just wasn't for me. And then this came out and absolutely just blew my socks off. And actually looking at this and looking at the art, knowing the kind of kid I was and knowing the Superman fan that I – because I am a major Superman fan, especially this era of Superman. I, you know, I, I've always loved that character. He's, you know, why I got into comics. But, you know, at this time in Superman history, you know, he was still very much the Gene Colan, or excuse me, the uh, Kurt Swan Superman, rather, 
Um, you know, there was some uh, Garcia Lopez out there, Wayne Boring, guys like that. Those were my era of Superman until like John Byrne came along later on. So it's actually when you look at this Superman compared to like Kurt Swan, it, it's night and day. It's completely different. So I'm actually kind of surprised that I did love this as much as I did and, and that I do today because it it's so very different. This Superman is very fluid and and movie like and really he always looks like he's in motion and he's doing things whereas the Kurt Swan Superman to me always seemed very static somehow like like it was just a series of of still photographs in those books it, it just you know and that's not to knock Kurt Swan but I just never thought his art looked particularly uh dynamic or in motion if you know what I mean um and the, you know the point was brought up about Krypton and them not really being, you know, a, a, a particularly nice, great golden society kind of people. And I think that's an excellent point. And I think that this book really shows that. And I remember reading a book years ago, and I'm not sure if I've got the right title, but I think the name of the book was Her Name Titanic, which it was a book about, you know, of course, the, the ship Titanic. And there was a parallel was made in that book between you know, the society that built the Titanic and that they were so overconfident in everything and they, they didn't believe that, you know, they could possibly fail at anything that they had done. And then their society was rocked to its very core when on its very first voyage, the Titanic sank. And I remember reading that in the book and, and somebody who was a member of the team that this guy, you know, the author was working on, you know, they were doing expeditions to the Titanic. They were like, well, that's not how Krypton happened. You know, they didn't do something to make their planet explode or whatever. We don't understand your parallel. But I caught exactly what he was talking about. That Yes, maybe these Kryptonians didn't make their planet blow up. But through their arrogance and, and the way they handled their society, the destruction of Krypton was just as much their fault as if they had caused it to happen because they didn't believe in their own fallibility. They had become so arrogant and everything by this point. And I think that that type of Krypton is really excellently portrayed in this story. And, you know, Mike, you had talked about reading that uh, that Phantom Zone book that just came out. So I, I think that actually gives you the leg up on the rest of us, even though you may have the least amount of history in comics. Mm. I think you've got the leg up on the rest of us with, you know, history with these characters, because a lot of these stories with these Phantom Zone villains, I have always intended to go back and track down and read. And so many of them, I just, I never did like Quesco's story. I would really like to read that. And to this day, I still haven't ever read it. And, uh, that was one of the things that always impressed me with this was, you know, he's such a completely one-off character from probably yeah. 20, 30 years before this story was written Yet Steve Gerber did his homework so well to pull that character out, you know, at a time when Superman continuity was very, very, very loosey-goosey at best, yeah. you know, for him to pluck that character out from decades before and use him and have people remember him and, you know, Superman remembered him and, you know, they, they had written it as if he had just worked at the Daily Planet for the last however many years. And I thought that was great how he, he worked that kind of stuff. Because yeah, back in this, up, oh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Like he shows up in November 1962, Superman 157, the Super Revenge of the Phantom Zone Prisoner. 
and mm -hmm. he does actually end up, you know, Superman gets him a job at the Daily Planet. And it's just <laughs> it's just set up waiting to happen. The only um, characters that I think, the only Phantom Zone characters I think that are original to this are the two uh, mutants, the, the, the pyrotechnic and the, or not the pyrotechnic, but the the fire controller and the mind reader. Those two, as far as I can tell, they're original to this miniseries. They may be. I didn't look up the main characters, to be honest with you. I assume that they that they had come from other stories because, like, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the guy that that kind of looks like a like a Kryptonian rhinoceros, you know, it's got the horn. Right. I can distinctly remember that story as a kid because that was a story that always freaked me out because he actually not not only did that guy survive the destruction of Krypton, he survived the destruction of Krypton being on Krypton. He was there when it blew up. And because of that healing factor he's got, he just survived. And so he was actually not in the Phantom Zone when Krypton blew up. He was sentenced to the zone later, I believe, by Superman when Superman fought him. Because he's by the time he arrived on Earth and fought Superman, he'd basically gone insane because he could not handle floating in space all those years and all the mental stuff that he had done to he, he's a whack job he's really out of his mind are you talking about the the horn guy scott yeah yeah what I, i'm drawing a blank on his name but yeah i remember the original story with that guy because it made such an impression on me as a kid and uh i always thought he was a great character because you know you guys were talking about you know feora being the more messed up character in a, in this and i i agree that she's probably the most outright like psychotic and and homicidal in this but there's other characters that i think you know are, are just as interesting or just as messed up or whatever and one that i always kind of liked and, and kind of thought he's not particularly messed up but i think what happened to him was messed up is jack sir i didn't never thought of jack sir as particularly hello uh-oh He was like in the middle of something so interesting. I know. Yep. Oh, connection lost. Oh. Off he goes. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, he's going to be flipping out by now. All right, <laughs> his, his power's still up anyway because he's still showing up there. I think he's going to have to end editing himself in. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, ed I'm editing this episode. one. <laughs> no. his, computer's, his computer's on the edge, so I'm doing all the... The number crunching. Uh oh, redirected. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> yeah, Skyward probably went out. <laughs> oh gosh. That's what he gets living down in Georgia. <laughs> I just came back from there, man. It's scary, I have to say. It's beautiful. <laughs> It was great seeing Scott. It was great seeing my other friends. I saw some. I had some Yankee moments where, where I was r reminded very, very strongly that I was not from around those parts. Get that up. Okay, he's he's still able to IM me. It just says yeah, this sucks. <laughs> so theoretically, he should be able to dial in. Wow, that was neat, whatever that was. It sounded like a dramatic music cue. Dun, dun. 
Yeah, it looks like the, the guy that um Scott was talking about was uh his name is Namex. <laughs> All right, hang on. Let me try to call him a couple more times. Sure. Oh yeah, actually we can't go on to number two because we're halfway through Scott's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Scott's point of view. Looks like he dropped out. Yeah, he just disappeared off mine too, just when you said that. I bet he's gonna turn everything off and turn it back on. His computer's been just on the edge. I was over it when when I went to his house, you know, it's in Georgia, it's just piping hot there. And the computer was running all the time and I'm like, Do you ever shut it off or put it into sleep mode? And he's like, Well, it doesn't like to start up, so I'm like, Ooh It's a heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> I just got a new one gig or terabyte hard drive so I can back everything up for the eventuality. Oh, that's awesome. It was $65 at Best Buy. Damn. Unbelievable. Oh, he popped back up. Oh, oh, it's working. As you were saying, you were talking about Jack Sir. Yeah, I sincerely apologize. <laughs> Storm is just raging like crazy right outside my window, I swear. It's okay, I had a chance to make some slurs against Georgia. I'm making some too, I'm telling you what. God, you know, this just couldn't happen at a worse time, it sucks. Alright, so what, how, where did I get to, what did you hear? You were talking about Jack Sir. What did what did you? <laughs> where was I? You said he was particularly interesting to you for some reason. Yeah, you said oh, you know. said his name like reminded you of like masturbation, and then you did like a Beavis <laughs> and Butthead laugh. Jack sir, Jack's off. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. But no, he uh, he's he's interesting to me because, to my knowledge, he's the only one that was actually sentenced to the zone for eternity. Which I think, oh. wow, really? I mean, that's. I mean, granted, what that's what, like sending someone that. Well, actually, purgatory to hell. isn't for, yeah to hell because purgatory it's because it's sort of purgatory like, but purgatory for eternity would probably pretty much be hell. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he may not be burning in a lake of fire, but yeah, it, it's it's almost as bad as I mean that's. Well, they made it pretty clear it was cold there. And as chilly. you know, as I was, yeah, that's true. Well, as I was doing some research on this today, I stumbled across a, a, a mention of a story where Superman actually let Jaxer out for 24 hours, and I've got to read that story. I've got to know what that was all about. Was he just being nice, or you know, what was the reason Superman would let a guy conjugal sentence? visit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's interesting, Scott, that you mentioned his uh, sentencing because actually, there in the back of this trade paperback, there's two text pages giving a rundown of first appearances and all, and I, that's where I got about the mutants appearing first here. But uh, apparently, he this his first appearance is not in this book, but it does say he was sent to the zone for life, but with hope of parole. So oh, in the original, okay. it's Adventure 289. If anybody has it or has read it, I haven't, but. Yeah, so I made a note about that because it, it it does seem a uh, intentional discrepancy with this miniseries that maybe to reinforce this more negative or nuanced whatever view of Krypton or I don't know. It's interesting that you 
picked up on that. Well, this is definitely Gerber's take, I believe, on Krypton. I, I think he was making a conscious decision to paint things a particular way, but also I think he was trying to tighten things up a little bit as well, you know, w- within the the, the yeah. confines of, of this particular story. So maybe that was just, you know, I don't know if it was a purposeful omission but or, or not, but yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that he actually had a chance, you know, with you know, whatever good behavior or whatever. But uh, just real quick on my own personal notes for this issue. Um, now, this was not my – when I discovered this series, this wasn't where I jumped in. I actually discovered this series at number two. I saw number two on you know an old-fashioned Hey Kids spinner rack and fell in love and snapped it up. And it was years before I actually tracked down number one. And strictly being a judge-a-book-by-its-cover kind of guy – you know, I don't know that, you know, well, I probably would have snapped it up anyway because it's Superman and it's Phantom Zone. You know, I'm a big Phantom Zone fan. This was published right, you know, when Superman 2 came out. So I'm sure I would have grabbed it, but I'm just not horribly impressed with the cover. I think Superman looks like an action figure on this. He, he really reminds me of the Superman, the movie action figure I had as a kid, but not in a good way. It, 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 the, the art is just a little bit wonky. I, I do believe it's still a colon cover, but... I don't know. It's just as much as I love all of the interiors the, the, and all four of these issues, this cover is just not. The covers didn't match the feel of what was inside the oh, comics. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's um, a little little stiff. Uh, but you know, what like like I said, you know, the, the cool unifying element in the ways is, is those uh, Phantom Zone projections that you see in kind of each issue, aside from issue three, which is uh, kind of a different tinge to colors. Mm-hmm. Oh, the the floaty heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I like that. Yeah, and Colin at times I I love his art, but sometimes he has some like weird anatomy issues too, like <laughs> <laughs> which we see which as well. Well, that was yeah, that was one of the things that when I when I had seen him before this, you know, on on other books like Cap and and Daredevil and such, that was one of the things that kept me from from liking his stuff was some of the the bizarre poses particularly like when characters would jump and things they would they would look very like frog like or something and that's not to knock the guy i mean believe me i am a fan today but it wasn't really until this that that i became that fan and there are still some of those you know i'll call them frog moments in this if you look at page 26 superman jumping in the window and coming through the window both of those shots are kind of bizarre anatomically speaking, especially the second one, Superman just looks, he, he almost looks like a super midget with a big gut or something. It's, it's kind of a weird perspective, but I don't know if that may be the limitations of the Prince media of the day as well. I mean, it might be a matter of that, this, this paper, the way things are colored and inked, that sort of thing that, that makes it look a little awkward, but, uh, but, you know, it's a minor nitpick because the rest of it looks so beautiful to me. I just I love the way everything really does look almost like it was a like a still from a from an action movie rather than just, you know, every, OK, everybody pose, everybody say cheese, which was kind of the Superman art style up until this point. Um, also, playing devil's advocate here, I've got to I've got to ask, I mean, is the Phantom Zone? Is the fact of all these people getting sentenced to the Phantom Zone, ultimately, is it so bad? Because they ended up with the last laugh. I mean, they survived the destruction of their planet. You know, I thought it was an ironic touch by Gerber. 
Oh yeah, they all survived by the end of it. Well, well, not to mention the fact, even if Krypton had survived. Now, I'm a I'm a guy that I like to think about the future. You know, I'm I, you know being a sci-fi guy and all that. I like to think. You know, gosh, I wonder what the world will be like in a hundred years, you know, or two hundred years. You know, will we ever see, you know, a, a Star Trekian future, or you know, will the world all look like Epcot one day, or something like that? And I mean, this would have been a way to do it. You know, I mean, the Kryptonian society seems so screwed up that all you got to do is throw a brick through a shop window, and they're going to sentence you to the Phantom Zone for fifty <laughs> years, and then you get out and you get to see what the future looks like. So. I don't know. I just wonder, what, you know, is it really so bad? You know, it's not like they're they're being horribly tortured or, you know, locked in a cell or whatever. I mean, they, they get basically the universe is their television set. So you just hang in the, out in there for 50 or 100 years, let the universe revolve around you. You get paroled. And I don't know. I just wonder, was it really so bad after all? <laughs> um. Well, yeah. well, they're all in a hurry to get out, yeah. Scott, are you still there? Oh, there he goes. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go again. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. He's gonna be pissed. <laughs> I would say that there's a blue streak in his house right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well luckily his he's in the basement confined by a couple sets of doors and a thick thick coating of comics and books against all the walls he has this one bookshelf that's just i i mean it's scary oh there he goes he just disappeared off the oh it, it it's it's tipped at yeah probably like a 10 12 degree angle oh but of gosh. course on the top on the tippy top of it is uh is uh all his star wars glasses oh. <laughs> Oh, he's redirected again. <laughs> he's back on. He's he's IMing me. You've got to be kidding me. He's in the Phantom Zone. Oh, it's ringing. <laughs> this is getting to be just completely ridiculous. <laughs> I swear. Any guys are starting to understand why I'm so angry all the time. <laughs> This happens every time it rains here. This happens to the internet. It's completely ridiculous. I swear, it's nuts. All right, where did I get to this time? Was the phantom throwing a brick through a wall? Uh, it sends you to to the phantom zone, and it's not that bad. Yeah, that's as far as I got. Ah, oh, so yeah. I just talked to myself for like I don't know how. <laughs> oh my god, this is going to be an editing editing. Chore here. I'll send this. Well, yeah, I got, yeah. <laughs> I think I've only got like two or three more notes. I'm gonna try to whip through this really. All right, because we're almost at the hour mark right now. I know that's what I was gonna throw out too. Is I, God, this is making me so mad because we're almost at the hour mark, 
for this thing and I have no promises of what this internet connection is going to do so if, if I get cut off again we can put this to a vote whether we want to postpone and wrap it up another another night which I it just pisses me off I don't want to have to do that but at the same rate I mean I don't want to end up this takes three four hours either you know what I mean so so I'll throw it open to the group yeah. what we want to do well let's see how it's going now alright let me go ahead and did I did I get to the reference on page fourteen? I don't think so. Oh God! <laughs> okay, <laughs> now now it's funny. Now we just want to see how much his blood will boil. <laughs> Let me hang it. I gotta know what's on page fourteen. Yeah, you know, when he Come gets on. back on, we can say something like, "Man, what Will just said was so awesome." <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's pretty scary. Sounds like a like ghost typing or something. Right. One more try. Uh, try calling me on his cell. Okay, hang on. A cell? Wait, a cell phone in a, in a basement? <laughs> in a storm? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, unless he has, like, a Blackberry, I don't see this working. Oh, no, he's got an ancient... Oh my god. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> what? What'd you say? Hang on, just a second. Oh, uh, it's still Yeah, it's still here. Ridiculous. <laughs> okay, Scott, this is what you need to do. Uh, go get a Blackberry and install the Skype app. And. Uh, <laughs> Oh my god. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> hey, no, no, I think this could work. Like, let's record it through his phone and we can say Scott is joining us from the Phantom Zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scott was talking too long and we've banished him to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, you guys just want to do up to like just issue two and then just kind of split it. Yeah. That's yeah, that's definitely an idea. That may be that may be what we you know, now that I'm sitting here on the cell phone and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the modem and all the lights are fine and everything's peachy keen, so but gosh. This well, just features, man. I've been looking for forward to this show for so long and now this shit has to happen. It just aggravates me. 
Let me, uh, let me put my headphones back on. Put your headphones back on, because I can still call you on here. Right, exactly. On your other one and All see right. if it works. Here. We right. can We can have some sort of great sound effect with your regular voice and the Phantom Zone <laughs> voice going at the same time. <laughs> here we go. All right. Two Scott Gardeners now. Ben. Oh, it's ringing. Pick it up, goddammit. Come on. I know you can hear me. Yeah, I hear you now. <laughs> I don't know. If, is the cell phone still on or did you hang out? No, I can hear the time delay between the oh, cell yeah, phone and... How the hell did... All right, I just got this phone. I don't even know how to hang up a call. <laughs> there, I hung up on you. How about that? Okay, you prick. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, we've just been having fun picturing you like fuming and like oh, yeah, yeah. kicking well, the I dog. Was. I and was. I bet you were. Punching I the did. wall. I ran upstairs and I said, Have you seen a weather report? How long is this shit going to go on? And she's like playing that new game she got. She's like, Weather report? What's a weather report? So. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's seven, so I have to take like two pills in the next fifteen minutes, and I have to eat something before I take them. So I'll I have to head out, but I'll be back in like twenty minutes if that's okay. Okay. Cool. cool. Hopefully, in the next twenty minutes, you'll be able to finish your review of the last two pages, Scott. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> and then we'll and then and we'll pick up with part. Stupid storm's issue. gonna blow over. Okay. Well, I'll, right. I'll be right back. Okay, man. Hey, where did uh, where did I where did I cut out? What was page the last 14. thing? Okay, page fourteen. Yeah, this isn't gonna, hanging, man. This isn't even going to be funny now because I'm so pissed off that I can't make a joke about it. But all right, let me see if I can salvage this at all. I just noticed this while I was flipping through it. Actually, tell me that the guy in panel two on page fourteen doesn't look like General Riken from Hoth Base in The Empire Strikes oh, yes. Back. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> he's got the he stole his clothes or something. It looks just like him. Um one of the things I thought was really, really cool, very clever. I mean, it's not like super disguised or anything, but I, I did really think it was interesting and I wonder how many people caught it, was the fact right from page one that Charlie Queskel is wearing Quexel's colors. You know, with the with the shirt and the stripes and the the tie that he's got and everything, he basically has the same color scheme he had, you know, with his original Kryptonian costume when he was sentenced to the to the zone and all that. I thought that was really that a pretty cool. neat callback. That is. And uh, let's see, page twenty three. I have a note here that page twenty three is. Oh yeah. Yeah, I love this page. Page twenty-three, both both frames. You know, it's it's almost a splash page, but there is you know the the bottom panel as well. But both of those panels of Superman are just beautiful to me. You know, the top one reminds me very much of Superman the movie. You know, when he goes streaking through the city trying to track the ultrasonic signal, it just really reminds me of that scene. But then that scene of him flying almost Christ-like over top of the, the roofs, you know, like he's landing, you know, with his arms out like that. It, I, just, I love, there's something about that pose. I really, really love. It's just a, a beautiful piece of art. And, uh, that's pretty much all I've got on issue one. I'm going to, I'm going to save my main comments for the very next issue because, because that's the one that has great, uh, sentimental value to me personally. Cause that's where I jumped it was in. your first. Yeah. Scott's first. 
All right, we'll be right back with Scott's intimate description of his first time with the Phantom Zone villains. <laughs> All right. Guys, I'm serious. I apologize. I mean, not that I can control the weather, but still. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocore of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. 